And so one, one of the things I like to say is that it's, I feel like it's one of the most, one like a, a sales point, a sales pitch point that I give to people is it's the most appropriate art for the times we live in. Yeah. It expresses, I think, how most people feel more than any other art form I could think of, at least visual art form, you know, because yeah. everyone's feeling the feeling anxiety and fear yeah. and hopelessness yeah, and like everything's out of control and it's like you know this is the time for us that's why i tell all the other dark artists this is our time so yeah. you gotta make some great art welcome to rebel spirit radio exploring the frontiers of spirituality consciousness the esoteric in humanity's sacred relationship with a living earth. I'm your host, Nick Mather. And in this episode, I am joined by artist Chet Zar to discuss the book, Dystopia, Volume 1, a field guide to the dark universe of Chet Zar. In a wide-ranging conversation, Chet and I talk about dark art and its importance during these dark times, living in haunted places, the spiritual vision behind his work, some of his artistic influences, and so much more. Also, please be sure to like and subscribe to this podcast on whatever platform you use to listen or view podcasts. And please consider sharing it with friends and family. Your support is truly appreciated. Chet Zar is an American artist known for his dark visual art, designing and creating creatures and makeup effects for such films as The Ring, Hellboy 1 and 2, Dark Man, Planet of the Apes, and the critically acclaimed music videos for the art metal band Tool. At the suggestion of horror author Clive Barker, Chet left the film industry to focus on his own original works and try his hand at fine art, specifically painting in oils. The 2015 documentary, Chet Czar, I Like to Paint Monsters, directed by Mike Carell, examined Chet's life and career. Chet's work was also chronicled in the book Black Magic, The Art of Chet Czar, and the recently published Dystopia, Volume 1. A Field Guide to the Dark Universe of Chet Czar. Chet, welcome to Rebel Spirit Radio. Thank you. Happy to be here. Thanks for having me on. Yeah, well, thank you. I'm really looking forward to this. This is going to be a little bit of a different podcast episode for me, I think. Oh, good. <laughs> so it'll be a challenge, but it's one that I'm looking forward to. I think it'll be a lot of fun. I kind of, I mean, I feel like I sort of cross over that into the like spirituality realm and also the art realm and they're and they're yeah. usually two different worlds but i've i've i'm more in the in the art world but i also have like a lot of crazy experiences that have happened to me throughout my life and and i feel like at, as or even more at home in that in that talking about that sort of thing you know spiritual stuff however paranormal whatever you want to call it yeah yeah, yeah. <laughs> well yeah since you mentioned it let's dig into that because you uh, you bring that up in in the documentary i like to paint monsters and there does you know looking at your artwork it does come across there does seem to be a sort of spiritual aspect to it mm. so maybe talk a little bit about this i know in the film you mentioned that you were lived in a couple of haunted houses you've had mm. out of body experiences you talk about the ability to manifest mm. visualizations so let's explore that a little bit and we can start wherever you would like to start yeah that's where do you start it was I guess it was, it's a family thing. It started off as a family thing. My mom was always seeing 
ghosts. My sister was used to see ghosts a lot when I was a little kid. There was, you know, we lived in a ha- two haunted houses. One I don't remember because I was a baby, but the other one, <clears throat> it was it was like normal for us. It was because my mom was sort of really she was really cool. She was a kind of a new ager sort of, uh, you know, into hypnosis and manifestation. She taught me that stuff when I was really young, and but it was. So she was always accepting of it. She was never afraid of it. She didn't think it was satanic or weird or anything like that. It was sort of like exciting and interesting. And so when there would, you know, it would be kind of like, hey, the, you know, check out what happened to me. My mom would tell me this just happened. And it was like, oh, cool. <laughs> you know, it, was, it was very different. So so it was just kind of normal in, in the house I was growing up in, yeah. you know? What would be some of the kinds of experiences? One time, there were so many, it's kind of hard to to think. But the one one that does come to mind was that my mother was taking clothes, taking folded clothes into my brother's room. And she opened his door and he shut it on her and said, sorry, and shut the door in her, in her face. And she was like, that was weird. And she turned around and walked down the hall and he was just coming in the front door. Wow. You know, another another family story is how my sister got mad at my mom for poking her with knitting needles mm. and my mom's like i didn't poke you with knitting needles <laughs> but those those knitting needles over there not stabbed her but like poked her with them those are two pretty pretty good ones there's so many of them though i mean there was a my mom saw a my mom this is weird my mom and her best friend saw a like a ship's captain in our kitchen <laughs> standing oh. there and it turns out the guy who owned the house was like the captain of a ship in the Navy, they found out later, you know, one of those weird things. So it was just all around all the time. Oh, interesting. Yeah. I yeah. lived in a couple of haunted apartments. So really haunted, <laughs> <laughs> never hear that term haunted apartment. Yeah. Well, it's, well, makes it, sense, was, though. pardon? It makes sense. Why not? Haunted house, haunted apartment, haunted store. I've heard of haunted antique stores. Right, right. Yeah. Well, one of these was, it was in Denver. It was an old Victorian house. Oh, wow. And converted to, I think, like four apartments. Mm -hmm. That was one. And then the very first apartment I had in Los Angeles was right down by Wilshire and Fairfax. Oh, okay. It was an old hotel. Oh, wow. Into apartments. And that one was kind of scary. I still have dreams about that one, especially the basement where the washer and dryer for the tenants were. Uh Uh-huh. That shows up in my nightmares a lot. Wow. What happened to you? Like, what, do you have any good? Yeah. Well, you know, things would like disappear. I couldn't find them like keys. And mm-hmm. so I'd have to call out, you know, yeah, I'd like this back. And then they show up. But the two main things that occurred was I was sitting in my living room watching TV one evening and I had cats. I had two cats. Mm-hmm. And there was this like small hallway leading into the bedroom. And in the hallway was a closet and there was no door. And I had in the top shelf, a a camera bag. It was a 35 millimeter camera Mm. and it's, it had been sitting there for like seven or eight months. Right. So it it was firmly placed. And one of my cats was sitting in front of that closet opening, just howling. And all of a sudden that camera bag jettisoned out. Whoa. It it did not fall. It wasn't like a tumble. (laughs) It was as if it were thrown. Wow. That's scary. And, yeah. Yeah. And then one morning I saw a disembodied hand coming out of a closet. No way. That's really good. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. 
Yeah, it was interesting. I was sitting outside. This is when I was still kind of bad and was smoking, but I was sitting outside one Friday night and having some wine and smoking a cigarette and some people that lived in the building, there was like a couple across from me and then a guy down the hall, they kind of crossed paths and they started talking and very shortly they started talking about the experiences that they were having. Oh, wow. And, you know, I kind of heard it and then joined it. And we all were having very similar sorts of things. And apparently the apartment at the very front of the building, they could not keep people in there. Wow. But they, <laughs> and within three or four months, they'd be gone. Wow. Yeah, that's crazy. Yeah. yeah. So, yeah. So I'm always interested in those sorts of things. Yeah. It's so but, interesting. Yeah. So that, did that influence, I would imagine, the path you took with your artwork? You know, strangely enough, it 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 doesn't feel related as crazy right. as that sounds, because that was that stuff, like I said, was sort of normal. I guess it I'm sure it I'm sure it influenced me because it was part of my upbringing in a way. But you know, my brother and sister aren't into this stuff like I am. They're not into like monsters and horror movies, not yeah. even. So, and they grew up in the same environment. So it just feels, you know, I always liken it to feeling, to being like, it feels genetic. It just feels, it's like, you know, like, like anything. It's just like, it feels genetic. It, mm. it, I don't know if it is, but it feels like just kind of who I am, mm. you know? And, and I don't know. I don't know why I, you know, I've got theories but I just, I just, this stuff makes me happy. This kind of stuff. I think it's cool. I just like it. It makes me feel good. That's why, you know, a lot of times I'll get criticism from people who don't understand dark art from other artists, maybe saying why I can do that. I can do that. It would, I feel depressed all the time. And it's like, no, 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 you don't get it. This is like, you know, when you paint a sunset, this is like my version of a sunset for whatever reason. I just think it's so beautiful and it makes me feel good. It makes me happy. It's, I know it's weird, but I don't, you know, I, I'm a nice guy. I'm a decent person. So it's like, who cares? You know, <laughs> as long as you're not doing anything bad with it. Yeah. 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 I, yeah, I don't think it's weird. I actually really appreciate it. And, you know, I don't, one of the things that came up and this is, jumping way ahead but we can just let the conversation flow yeah in the dystopia book looking at this collection of art and i do want to get into kind of what led to the publication of this mm. but there are themes that kind of jumped out at me oh okay and cool there are themes of one what's really clear is i think uh, you you have this usage of gas masks a lot mm -hmm. For me, that always invokes World War One. Mm. And then there are, it seems to be things from World War Two in the clothing right. and whatnot. And I think there's even something from the Civil War in one of the pictures. Yeah, yeah, there is. And so this idea of war seems to be in there. That's uh, true. And <laughs> unintentionally and, so, but true. Yeah. And then there's, you know, like the smokestacks and yeah. like this pollution. And the impression I get when I look at these is that it's someone who is living in a hostile, violent, polluted world. Is that familiar? <laughs> yeah. And it is like, I can't let this eat at me. 
I need to get it out. Right. You know, yeah. and so that's just the impression I get when I, when I look at the artwork, not that it's a dark or dangerous or anything mm -hmm. like that, but it's almost like this primal scream mm -hmm. <laughs> of the world that we're living in. <laughs> like this is madness <laughs> yeah right yeah that that's a that's it's cool to hear that because you know i'm sure you read it in the in the introduction that my artwork's always been just totally intuitive that really comes from from when i left the film industry and i started painting it's like I, it was so important for me to be a to be pure and real as an artist because i came out of this commercial art background in the film industry and it was like you know, make things look cool to a 10 year old boy because this is our demographic and make this look, you know, 13% less scary and just stuff that as an artist, you just go, oh, <laughs> that hurts, you know, because you're trying to make something amazing, designing creatures and stuff. And so, so leaving the industry and doing my own work was like, okay, now I can do what I want to do, what's true, what's real, what's pure. Because I think every artist, every creative person, every writer wants to you know, capture the truth, wants to be real, wants to not be contrived. And that's kind of the ultimate goal, I think. And so I was like, I'm going to just, you know, what do I, what do I paint? So I, I'm going to go back to when I was the most pure, which was my childhood. Mm -hmm. And when I used to just draw for the fun of it, naturally, no one was telling me you have to draw. It's, it's not about selling a piece or making a political point or anything it was like you're doing it for the joy of doing it mm. and so i thought that was my most pure time of, of my life and most people's lives when they're kids so i started i was like okay i'm gonna paint monsters because <laughs> and in 2000 there's just like no one was into it there was not a market for it but i was you know again i in the in the documentary he talks about the joseph campbell follow your bliss theory i was like i believe this i'm gonna do this i'm gonna try it and if it's true and i know it's true but I haven't tested it really yet. And if it's true, then I'll, then I'll, I'll, that'll be, this is my test. And so I, you know, as far as I'm concerned, I proved that the theory is true, at least to myself, because I did that with this really unlikely thing that I was, was my bliss and it did work for me. So I don't know how we got on that. I don't remember what the initial question was, but yeah, oh, interpret, interpreting the, the, the artwork. Yeah. yeah so it's intuitive. Cause I try and get in the state of mind as, as a kid. I try to approach creating work like I did when I was a kid, which is just do it and have fun and just not think about the meaning or anything. But that doesn't mean that meaning is not there. It's like, you know, it's more of a fun. It's, it's a, it's a way for me to look inside of my subconscious, right. you know, that most people don't have access to that stuff very easily. But when you just paint intuitively, you're, you're being told something. You know, and so it's always a surprise, like, oh, yeah, I do kind of think that way or Ooh, I, I do feel that way. I never really thought about it. <laughs> right. But, you know, you mentioning that, you know, being in, living in a state of war and, in, 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 you know, with pollution coming out uh, of the smokestacks, it's like, you know, I grew up in the 70s. Right. I, I remember seeing Vietnam, the end of Vietnam on TV, on the newscasts. And, and I remember pollution. I remember my chest hurting. You know, I'm talking like 70, I'm going to be 55 in November. So, you know, mid seventies before the, all the, 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 they really took on pollution and smog and man, my ch I'd come in from playing every day. My chest would hurt so bad. It was like a normal thing for kids. Yeah. And so, and you remember, you know, 
I don't know how old you are, but it, it, it there was more of it, it was a thing in the 70s that like we're polluting, we're destroying the world. There was commercials on TV that was trying to get people to like not litter and stuff like that. So that's right. but it's also that still the world we're living in, <laughs> even yeah. more so. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. No, I, I I just turned 55. So oh, okay, great. We're yeah. Just... yeah. Yeah, wow, so, I didn't realize we're the same yeah, age. <laughs> yeah, sixty-seven, man. Hell yeah, <laughs> summer of love. Yeah, yeah. Isn't that sixty? Or is that sixty? Yeah, yeah, and that's sixty-seven. Yeah, yeah, and so my yeah, my birthday is September 9th. So technically, I was born during the summer of love. All right, <laughs> and I've had people try to say no, September's fall, and I'm like, no, uh, <laughs> no, and uh, yeah, yeah, not in not in California. Yeah. <laughs> so yeah. So uh, some Gen X solidarity. Yeah. Um, yeah. I remember. I mean, my hometown. I'm not from California, but I remember my hometown. My the house I lived in. We were just like two blocks from the power plant, mm -hmm. and it was coal powered power plant. Wow. And I remember, and the the city stinks, uh, because or it stank or whatever <laughs> yeah. because of the coal and the pollution. But I remember as a kid just sitting there and watching these sort of black ribbons of smoke coming out. Yeah, of you know. Yeah, you know what's weird too is during the filming of the documentary, like up until the documentary, I'd been painting for probably ten years. And I had still not even really thought about what I was doing or any meanings, but going through, you know, the whole process of going through your life and talking to someone about it. it's the first time I ever did it in mm -hmm. front of a camera, especially it, you have to like, just analyze things more. I'm just not, I'm more of like an intuitive kind of person. I right, just kind of right. go with it. But so I had to really kind of sit and look at things. And I remember one time driving down to San Pedro, where I grew up seeing the big smokestack on the oil refinery that's right in pedro it's, and it's like a big smokestack that says san pedro on it and mm -hmm. it's like oh wow i've been painting those smokestacks for 10 years and not even thinking yeah. about it it's yeah. that smokestack it's the same looking smokestack yeah. it's such a trip yeah well and i remember in the documentary as well that i think it was your mom that pointed out and they were showing i assume that they were your actual artwork from when you were a kid mm -hmm. but i i think your mom said that some of the earliest things that you were drawing were like images of war uh, yeah planes like and war so that seems like it's something that has carried yeah through. yeah i mean I, I i remember one of my earliest memories is seeing i think it was the vietnam war but it could have been old war footage but seeing a person like getting shot with a machine gun on the news wow. it was black and white so maybe it was like world war ii or something but i still remember that and uh, just it was it was shocking and i remember in the first in the first grade i during art time i painted a guy shooting another guy with wow. blood blood coming out yeah. two army guys and i remember the teacher was like uh <laughs> you know people were going uh and uh, i don't i don't know it just seemed natural uh, a natural expression of you know horror i guess you know it's it's probably why i'm not crazy is is i was able to have that outlet to express these things you know yeah because yeah, everybody think, feels them. Yeah, yeah, they do. And I think that's why it's so crucial and important. Um, mm -hmm. You know, and I remember as a kid, you know, I always liked the horror movies. And mm -hmm. you know, you're talking, I was remembering we had to like do a create a book and illustrate a book in like third or fourth grade. And mine was like a horror novel um, right. based on Friday the 13th, not the movie, but right. <laughs> <laughs> That hadn't been made yet. Yeah. 
Yeah. That's cool. Yeah. But I think, you know, children probably know that, you know, experiencing this world and seeing the horrors of it, I think is shocking. And we have to, yeah. you know, we have to get it out somehow. Yeah. It's got to be expressed or you can't ignore it. You just, you can't deny it. It's, 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 that's why I think dark art is important. Horror movies are important. Yeah. Things like this, because, because horror is real, you know, yeah. there is, there are horrors in life and you can't, you just can't deny it. And if you, you know, that's when the problems start when you deny that there's horror and horrible things going on, or when you try to hide these things from yourself, these feelings that people have, you know, and, and, and that's when it goes inward and starts causing like psychosis and OCD and, you know, weird compulsive behaviors and stuff, you know, right. people, people that have been abused that turn it inward that don't get it out end up being, you know, really screwed up. Yeah. It would seem to me that since you're getting all of this out, that you probably have very few nightmares. Yeah. You know, I do. I, I don't have a ton of nightmares actually. Although lately I, I have been because I've been working every single day and not getting enough sleep. So that's more of like a physical issue because I'm, getting ready for a show. And I have noticed like, man, I've been having these nightmares the last couple of nights, but generally, no, I don't, I don't really, you know? Yeah. I, yeah no. Yeah. I can imagine anxiety nightmares. I have those and those are the worst. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I, it's just, it's not even like, I'm not stressed about it because I'm on schedule with this, the show. It's, it's more like I got to get eight hours of sleep. Yeah. or else i you know it messes me up that's when i have these out of bodies too right. is when i'm when i'm my sleep schedule gets screwed up it always happens then and i and i'll just like randomly as i'm falling asleep fl start floating around and mm. it's and it's weird it's really weird but it feels like a it's like a physical thing because i work every day i don't take time off really that often just because of the nature of my business i have to keep hustling to make money because it's hard to make money as an artist so i i find that it, like i have to get eight hours of sleep right because i'm working all the time and if i don't it starts getting things start getting weird <laughs> sure, sure sure yeah and, and in the film you described your first out-of-body experience and so this is a common experience for you that happens quite frequently yeah pretty often i mean i'll go a year maybe maybe not quite a year, but maybe, maybe six months other times, like a, especially, like I said, especially if, if I'm on a deadline and I'm pulling all nighters and my sleep hours get screwed up, I'll have them a lot, but yeah, I, I start, it's happened, you know, around, I think I was 12 years old, somewhere around there. I just, it was a classic sleep paralysis where a guy was I couldn't move and I was looking through my eye, my eyelids, but my eyes were closed, but I was totally aware. And this guy appeared next to me and started hitting me with the pillow. He was holding a pillow over his face and was hitting me over and over with the pillow. And this voice was telling me, he can't hurt you. He's just trying, just trying to scare you. And so, but I was still scared, terrified. And I, and, and I just kind of shook myself out of it. And, and then after that, a few years after that, I had one that was like the opposite where I was floating around and I just felt like, wow, this is amazing. This is what it's like when you die. Like I just knew for sure. This is what it feels like when you die. Cause it felt like me without 
any fear or any kind of emotional baggage. It was, it felt so good and free. And it was like, oh, this is my real self. This is how I really am. And it was me, but it was me without the negative stuff, you know? And, uh, and oddly enough, as an adult, when I eventually tried ecstasy, it, it, it felt exactly like being on ecstasy. <laughs> and it was like, I hadn't done anything at that, at that point. Cause I was very anti-drug when I was a kid, but yeah, it was amazing. And then I went, I was floating, but I couldn't control. That's one thing I never can. I have a hard time controlling it. And so I was just like floating around and the room was completely dark. And I went through the wall, I could see in between the wall. And then I, it was early morning outside, really bright white. And it shocked me. And so I just went like back into my body, like a rubber band pulled me back in, just woke up. Yeah. Wow. Have you yeah. ever read, read any of the works by, is it Robert Monroe? Yeah. 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 I've read a bunch of his stuff. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I was just curious if that might've, if there was anything in those books that might help you in terms of the control. There, 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 there was actually, that's the, 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 the one thing, I, the main thing I got from Robert Monroe was that you have to think it to do it. So it's like, if you want to fly forward, you have to say, I want to fly forward. You have to think that, and then you'll fly forward. It's not like we're used to just going, you know, it's, you know, when I want to move my arm, I just do that. Mm. <laughs> I don't think I'm going to move my arm, but in that state, you have to go, I want to move my arm forward. And then your arm will move forward and it works. The problem is I can never remember to do it. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. You yeah. know, it's like, you just forget. And then sometimes you go, oh yeah. And you remember. Like sometimes I, I'll I'll have them and it's just pitch black too. I can't see and I'm floating. And if I remember, I could say, oh, I want to see and then I'll be able to see and it's all good. But I most of the time I, I'm just like, oh no, I'm floating around again. <laughs> wow. You know, it's yeah, it's a trip. So it's it's a weird, it's it's like my I don't know if you could call it a talent. It's not really a talent, but it's like my natural psychic ability or whatever you want, paranormal connection whereas you know other people are can like predict things you know it's the, it's like mine is out of body experiences yeah. for what it's worth <laughs> it doesn't really do me any good but that's well, where that's where it goes for me have you ever um has this always happened when you're trying to sleep or have you ever practiced this while you're like fully awake yeah no i've never been able to induce it i've tried but to be fair i probably gave up you know, before I, before I, if I would have kept at it, I probably could have induced it. You know, the only time I had kind of a spontaneous one was when I was working, I was 18. I, I was on my first big film job in Italy. I went to work on this horror movie. They sent me, it was like my first job. I was excited. I'd never been in a plane. I'd never been out of California and, and I, they fly me to Italy with this crew. And I was this little kid, you know, in, in Italy, Just, it was, it was super cool, but I was sitting in the shop where they build the stuff and it was before we were shooting and I had just discovered the prophet that book, the prophet. Mm -hmm. And it was, so it was like, and I was kind of, you know, very interested in spirituality even back then and things like that. And I was reading it sitting in a, a packing crate. Cause we were, that's what it was. We were unpacking like the creature suits and stuff being shipped over from the United States. So there was a big packing crate with packing peanuts. And I was laying in there reading this book because it was a break or whatever. And I was just, I read this, I don't remember what passage was, but it was, you know how it is when you read an amazing passage of brilliant tr truth, you know, you just go, oh my God, that's amazing, especially at that age. And 
I was like, whoa, that's amazing. And I just kind of closed my eyes and, and laid down and I just immediately shot up through the ceiling and went way up so far up. I couldn't see anything though. And it, it, it shocked me so much that I opened my eyes and I was back. So it was like this weird, spontaneous, I don't know, mystical experience that I felt like came from reading this pat passage of, of uh, spiritual truth in this book. It was weird. So that was the only time that ever, that ever really, that was different. That felt different to me. Yeah. You know? Yeah. Have you ever tried, I know that Robert Monroe, I think suggested listening to like binaural beats. Yeah. Right. And, but you know, the thing that's really coming to my mind is shamanism because mm -hmm. you know, one definition of a shaman is, you know, they are experts at this. Um, right. You know, that's true. Um, yeah. Yeah. Out of body experiences, states of ecstasy. Yeah. Um, and like, so have you ever listened to the binaural beats or shamanic drumming to try to elicit these? Things? No, I haven't. But I, you know, I was into shamanism for a while. I went with my, my mother in law, took me to go see what's the big, western shaman guy from the 80s it's like a famous guy he was uh, the michael guy harner. yeah michael Har harner yeah we went to go take one of his lectures it was a workshop thing and my mother-in-law was cool she was into that stuff and it was her idea so we went up there and took that that workshop which was really fun so there was a period where i was kind of looking into that and interested and and also you know from having mystical psychedelic experiences got me interested in shamanism because that's kind of what it is pretty much in the indigenous cultures so i don't know maybe if i was in a an indigenous culture i'd be a shaman yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> who knows yeah yeah well you know i think that you know the the term is a little problematic somewhat there's a lot of debate about it but yeah it yeah it seems to be in my opinion it's something that does seem to be worldwide um, right and yeah you know i think it's part of our heritage you know mm -hmm. so. yeah like human our human heritage but you think about how how will it take shape in different cultures right you know that's the problem with looking to cultures outside of our own and right. kind of mimicking them because it's like it doesn't really match up but we have a version of it that's right. essentially the same i don't know what it is for westerners you probably know, but I haven't thought about it, but um, I'm sure there is a version of it that that is more appropriate for Western people. Yeah, yeah, you have to dig. And I, 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 you know, and that's one of the issues is that if the traditional, I'm putting air quotes around traditional <laughs> spiritualities of a culture don't speak to you. You know, you start right. looking elsewhere. Right, right. And then there's always that potential of, you know, cultural appropriation, you know, or not even, or, or not get it not understanding it properly because it's not your culture. So you don't know right. the, the reference really, yeah, you know right. what I mean? Right, right. Exactly. But I think that there was something within human history that was kind of, you know, especially again, quotes, Western culture <laughs> that was eradicated. Yeah. So yeah. it has to be sort of reinvented. Yeah, uh, yeah, that's claim. true. Where I would look is in, weirdly enough, in the pre-Socratic philosophers. Hmm. There's some really amazing books by this guy, Peter Kingsley. Hmm. Uh, one you might enjoy, it's called In the Dark Places of Wisdom. Ooh, that sounds uh, good. I'll have to write that down. And what he describes are uh, specifically, I think it's Parmenides and Empedocles. And what they would do is they would go into caves 
and the, oh, wow. it was called incubation. So they would go into caves in total darkness and just lie there. Wow. And then have visions. It'd be a visionary experience. Wow. What was it called in the dark places of what? In the dark places of wisdom was uh, Peter Kingsley. Okay, yeah. cool. Yeah. Try and find that on audiobooks. Yeah. <laughs> and he makes a really good case that all of this was actually informed from the, I think, like Siberian shamanism, which wow. is where we get the term shaman from. Right. You know, um, yeah. that has been lost, you know, and. Mm -hmm. I'd personally like to reintroduce that into philosophy, you know, because yeah, that's where it ought to be. <laughs> yeah, definitely. <laughs> you know, you're probably going to get a lot more philosophy majors if you. Yeah, right. <laughs> <laughs> well, there's something to be said about you know people are attracted to things that, or people are interested in. In there's a reason people aren't interested in things right, is because right. they don't resonate on a deeper level, you know. Yeah, exactly. And I think there's a hunger for people for these kinds of experiences. Mm -hmm. you know? Yeah, well, that's why you see, you know, why you see like hippies and stuff doing the, you know, dreadlocks and, right. you know, or the 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 hippies in the in the 60s going over to India and, and uh, you know, it's like they were feeling that missing piece. Yeah. But, you know, uh, again, I feel like it's like, it's it's not a bad thing but but it's not going to make sense in the same way it's just like gurus the right. idea of gurus sounds like horrible to westerners but you know in in india it's like a tradition that's part of part of that tradition is you have to have a guru and it's right. a good thing you know but here you know you, you automatically think of a scammer or some kind of charlatan or someone trying to rip you off it yeah. just doesn't like translate into the the two different cultures in the same way. Right. Yeah. Yeah. That's true. That's very, very, very true. So I wanted to ask, let's, I want to kind of take a big step back in a way. Sure. Just for the audience and for anyone who may not know, you've mentioned dark art. Oh, okay. Yeah. So what do you mean by that? What is dark art? That's a good question. I, you know, it's what everybody calls the kind of artwork that I do. <laughs> this is this was one of the one of the realizations when we were making the documentary. It's like, you know, because people who do artwork like I do, which is like monsters, stuff that's seems horror movie related or scary or creepy or macabre or gothic in that way, kind of gothy. Everyone all the artists in that scene, as long as I've been involved, have always been like trying to come up with a term as cool as like surrealism or something. So it's like dark surrealism or dark symbolism or, you know, trying to come up with a, a, a cool term. But what we realized during the shooting of the documentary and interviewing all these people at tattoo shows who the tattoo people are, are, you know, number one dark art fans. They love it. That's normal to them in the same way it's normal to me is that everyone called it dark art. And mm -hmm. so that was sort of the, the reason I wanted to, to call my podcast the Dark Art Society is just to kind of normalize that name. It's like my attitude was everybody uses that name. So let's just embrace it and get on with the art and forget about a name because names are just names. They don't matter. It's like the art makes the name cool. Just right. like, what are the the impressionists? It's like, it sounds cool because you think of all those cool paint paintings and painters. But if you think of the word impressionist on its own, it's like, 
That's not like an amazing inspired name. It's not like the coolest name you could have thought of. So even surrealism, it's like surrealism is pretty cool, but, but still it doesn't matter. So I've, I've been like pushing, you know, let's get beyond what the name is. Just accept it. It's dark art is like, uh, you know, it when you see it, kind <laughs> of, <laughs> you know, it's, it's dark. It's, but, but it, you know, it's, it's also, it's, it's a wide umbrella term the way I see it, you know, it's like really good horror films like the exorcist mm -hmm. or blue velvet, like David Lynch Eraserhead. These things to me fall into like dark art, right? you know, but it's also on the other end of it, it's a heavy metal album cover with someone being dismembered and you know it's kind of cheesy stuff so there's a, there's a range of it but you know and and every artist has to kind of every artist that does that kind of work has to find their place in that you know and my my place is with monsters but there's but i'm also trying to uh, or i'm not trying to do it i think naturally it kind of comes out that they are monsters that you often feel some kind of sympathy for or empathy you feel empathetic you 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 feel their pain in a way so i, I try and have humanity in there you yeah. know monsters with kind of like a, 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 a I don't know with feeling <laughs> i paint monsters with feeling yeah, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. 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 And that's, that's something else that makes, you know, makes me wonder, you know, I think the most effective monsters are the ones that do have feelings and maybe it's the feelings that make them monsters. Yeah. Yeah. You well, know. like, like, uh, you know, I think it's, I think it was Guillermo del Toro who was talking uh, in an interview talking about Frankenstein or maybe it was, maybe it wasn't him. I don't know. It, it was someone in, in an interview was talking about, frankenstein how it's like you know you feel bad for frankenstein's monster right you know you you feel bad for for him he's like an innocent victim in, in all of this and the townspeople are the bad ones that are coming after him the scared the people that are afraid of him mm -hmm. so it's it's definitely the angle that it's how i feel about monsters you know i want to i don't know i like the idea of being able to to make people feel bad <laughs> for the monster not feel yeah. bad not feel bad but like you know empathize with them and feel like oh oh that poor guy that's kind of how what I, I i don't know because i feel that way about people yeah. <laughs> in general it's like we have it everybody has it so rough it's like I, I really i i feel for people that are suffering i guess that's that's one of the things dark art honors suffering that was yeah. one of the quotes from the the documentary and i think that kind of says it well yeah you know? yeah yeah i like that and you know i think that with horror in general you know there is you know there are the the monsters who feel and that we feel for mm -hmm. you know? like Frankenstein's monster. But then there's this other kind of monster, which is the other. Right. We set aside as completely non-human, completely right. yeah. non-feeling. And, you know, I think a lot of the figures like, you know, from the Halloween movies, you know, mm -hmm. and 
Michael Myers and Jason from Friday the 13th. There are others, you know, right. killers, you know. It's like zombies, Night of the Living yeah. Dead zombies. Yeah, you know, very yeah. much. Yeah. And, and Cthulhu, you know, Cthulhu so yeah. radically other. But it seems like what is the most effective and the most important are the ones where it reminds us that we too can be monsters. Yeah. Yeah. Or, or that, yeah, for sure. I mean, I was just thinking about that Twilight Zone episode, the monsters on Maple Street. I think that, you know, that, that one, that says it all, you know, that, you know, you, you turn off some lights, you stop, make the car stop working. And then everyone just like starts turning on them, each other. And, uh, but at the same time, you know, that's like, I think it's a bit, like I said, it's a big subject it's got it's multifaceted so yeah it's it could almost be like a morality tale type situation where it's like look at how horrible we are to each other but at the same time you could also be like you know we all feel ugly Mm -hmm. like monsters and that's that's more i think i don't know i i i do like to paint the other sometimes that that feeling that that scary feeling that you have a about the other or the thing that scares you the most but i do i like to you know i like to connect with people Hmm. through through the artwork to to where they may recognize that you know i feel that way i have that feeling you know i feel unloved or ugly sometimes you know everybody feels this way yeah i think at some point yeah yeah i think we do just by virtue of being human yeah yeah it's like it's part of the human condition yeah. Well, and it also, you know, reminds me when you're speaking here of when you were talking about suffering and recognizing the suffering of all beings, that's very Buddhist. Yeah, right. And in Tibetan art in particular, you have these very demonic figures. Right. Yeah. Yeah, that's true. Yeah. Yeah. I didn't, I mean, I've never even thought of that, but that's a good point. Yeah. Well, you know, and that's something that also came to mind when I was going through dystopia. Uh, and I want to ask you about how that came into being, because I know that's a really interesting story. <laughs> yeah, it's uh, weird. But, you know, you begin by sort of mapping out sort of dystopia and there's these like different realms, right? Mm-hmm. At the center, please correct me if I'm wrong, but like at the center of it is what you called the void. Mm-hmm. And when I was looking at this, and yeah, it's triangular in a way that the way that this map is set up, Mm -hmm. when I saw that, what really came to mind was the Tibetan Tonkas, because at the, in the center of the Tibetan Tonka is that's where the divinity is. Oh, wow. And when you were looking at the, you know, this sort of map of this imaginal realm, and there is that core center and with the void, you know, I also always think, you know, that, and I think that I don't remember where it was in the book it may have been in the foreword or introduction where it's described as pure chaos. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But pure yeah. chaos is where creativity comes from. Right. Yeah. <laughs> that, well, that's the weird thing. It's like, I don't know. I'm, I feel like I, I'm outside of it in a way as much as you or anybody who reads the book it's all a mystery to me i'm just painting these paintings right you know so that's what's kind of fun about it is that i'm discovering it i may be like i'm discovering it right before other people discover it but i'm still discovering it myself because it's not something i thought up it's something that i painted into existence accidentally in a way 
Right. Yeah, or it's just a natural artifact of painting whatever I wanted to, whatever I thought was cool and letting this, my own creative impulse lead the way without any consideration to anything other than just enjoying myself and making paintings. And then this whole world, you know, after 10 or 15 years or however, yeah, I guess about 15 years, it's like, oh, I just, I painted a world into existence that I had no idea. It was so weird. It's so, it's such a strange thing. Yeah. And was that a realization that you came up with or was it because the book, I think you worked together with the director again, Mike Carell. Yeah. Or is that something that, you know, was like the two of you talking about the artwork and, you know, how did that realization come to pass that you had it, created this world? It was, you know, it was years of hearing people tell me oh your your creatures look like they exist in the same place or they look like they're related to each other mm -hmm. and you know it looks like a place all of your paintings look like they're in some other place and i never thought about it really honestly and, until people but until people started telling me that and i would be like oh yeah that's cool and then just not really think about it and then i kept hearing it over and over and then by the time we were doing this documentary we were really faced with what is dark art? What am I doing? Why am I painting this? We're, you know, because we're making a movie about my life, I guess, my career. So, so we had to be asking these questions and I'd never thought about it. So I had to think about it for the first time. And I think just talking it through and hearing other people's reflections on my work through the, all the interviews he was doing for the documentary, it just seemed to naturally come out that this that that I was sort of painting this world I don't remember at what what point it it was a thing but it just seemed to kind of naturally arise out of all of that I do remember I think the first person to really say something specifically like you should make a book about the world you paint was my friend Christopher Ulrich who's an amazing amazing visionary dark artist like criminally underrated you got to check his stuff out He's, he's really, really, you'll love it. You'll love it. It's super rich with like metaphor and myth. And it's so cool. It's amazing. But he was the first person that I remember saying, you know, you should make a, like a dungeon master guide of your characters, yes. you know, that's, that's what it felt like. Was yeah. Like, yeah. This is like dungeons and dragons. Yeah. It's got everything except a point system. <laughs> yeah, yeah. yeah. Cause it had like types and classes. Yeah. And, yeah. Yeah. And I grew up on that. So I was a dungeon and dragon nerd when I was a kid, you know, it's like, that's part of, part of my, my history. So yeah. And then there was a point, I don't know. There was a point where I don't know where I just thought, you know, we, we'd kickstarted the documentaries. So it's like, Hey, let's do a Kickstarter and make a book and turned out to be one of the worst mistakes of my life. <laughs> Cause it's, cause it just was so hard to put the book together, but you know, now I'm happy that I did it now, but if I would have known it would have been so hard, I, I definitely wouldn't have done it. No way. Cause I'm still delivering rewards to that kickstarter five years six five or six years later it's terrible yeah. <laughs> it, it is a beautiful book i mean just the way you know i don't know if you're familiar there's a fellow on youtube he goes by foolish fish yeah i subscribe to him okay yeah, yeah. he's great yeah so when i first i know uh, i want to hit him up actually i want to yeah. i want to 
to have him review the book. Yeah. Yeah. That's actually when I first saw the book, you know, he just kind of popped in the mind and I'm like, Oh, I want to do a foolish fish kind of review. Yeah. How beautiful <laughs> this book is. <laughs> Feel free. <laughs> I do. I, 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 I subscribe to something of his, I think his YouTube thing. Yeah. I love his, his, he's great. His whole magical yeah. journey. I don't know if you read his like mystical experience he he had that got him on the path that's really cool yeah i seem to remember something about him in a car ride where yeah that was it yeah manifest the specific car <laughs> uh, yeah i like it because he comes from a kind of traditional christian theological background right but he gets it you know he's not like a fundamentalist because you know i kind of I sort of come from that background myself. Like I, I was, I mean, Western culture is, you know, Judeo-Christian basically, right. but, but, you know, my mom, it's like Christianity was never, you know, my mom was cool and liberal and she was into like new thought and stuff, right. which was, but it was like kind of Christian-y new thought. So it was like, you know, Jesus was a cool character, a cool guy to me growing up. It's like, I always say my exposure to my main exposure to Christianity was Jesus Christ Superstar. That was like the family's favorite movie. <laughs> we watch it every year. And so I never had, I, I wasn't raised in a fundamentalist household where I just grew up hating religion in that way or Christianity in that way. So I don't have that. I mean, of course, uh, you know, I'm not into this extreme right. thing that's going fascist right-wing thing that's going on now, but I, I, I always... I like seeing people that are into alternative spiritualities and magic and, and the occult that are also don't have a problem with Christianity in the way that I don't. I think that's kind of cool. Yeah. That, that's yeah. one of the things I like about him is he's like, that's truly non-prejudicial right. when you, when you can look at all of them and see the value and not give preference to, to, to any of them, you know, yeah. to see them all as like the same kind of thing. I think that's cool. Yeah. Yeah, well, and, and you're right, you know, Christianity, it, you know, we do live in a very Christian culture in the sense that that is our kind of our primary mythology. Yeah, you even know? like the, 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 the common terms we use, like rule of thumb, or <laughs> I don't know if that one exactly is, but you know, if, if you look so much of the common phrases and things that we use, they're like, kind of based in the Bible, they're like from right. Bible quotes and stuff. Yeah, yeah. You know, it's just, and you don't even realize it. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. And I, I think that the problem is when people start looking at myth as literal and as concrete, yeah, definitely. Know? Cause as soon as you lose the symbolic, you've killed something really important. Yeah. Yeah. And I, I, I remember talking to like fundamentalist Christian people I worked with and it was like, you know, if, if Jesus you know, if Jesus didn't happen, then the whole Christianity is not real. It's not anything. And it's like, it's not, that's not true to me. It's the opposite is true. It's like the message is what's real. The truth of it is what's real, not the physicality of it. Yeah. Yeah. Well, that's one of the reasons I always say that I have a Gnostic turpitude mm. um, because I always like the, some of the Gnostic texts because they focused on the christ as metaphor and yeah yeah no the gnostics were 
what's inside. Yeah. 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 That's, that's, that's how, you know, if, if things had gone on a good path, yeah. <laughs> the culture would be a Gnostic Christian based culture and things would be much better, I think in the world. Yeah. yeah. Uh, we were really close to that. Yeah. We really, really close to that. Yeah. Probably closer than what most people understand. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I, I, I read a little, a bit about it in the nineties, the Gnostic gospels. There was like a thing in the nineties that kind of got, there was a few books that came out, I think. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, the um the Nakamati texts were discovered in 1945. Mm -hmm. I think the major collection came out in the maybe in the 90s, maybe a little bit earlier, but that's when mm -hmm. it became a little bit more popular, I think. Right. Um and uh, it kind of made its way into some films, uh, especially films in the in the 90s like mm -hmm. Ricks and the Truman Show. Right. And Blade Runner, even Philip K. Dick was really big on. Yeah, that. yeah, yeah. Philip K. Dick was amazing. Yeah, he was. He was. So I know that in the book, it's interesting, and I thought that maybe this might help kind of explore this idea of dark arts. And and I think that dark arts is a perfect name. Oh, uh, good. <laughs> for what's going on here? But who were some of your influences? I have a list here, but I wanted to ask you. Oh, okay, I. You know, probably the earliest influence I can think of is Escher, M.C. Escher. And my aunt had like a kind of European sensibility. She had like a lot of cool art books like Dolly and, and Escher and her whole style. The rest of the family is a little more like working class common folks who, you know, from San Pedro. But I used to walk home from school and and go to her house sometimes or stop by her house. And she always had these really cool art books that got me really interested in Escher and, and Dolly and Francis Bacon. I remember seeing, but as far as like my, when I became more able to choose the artists, you know, to, to, to seek out artists on my own, as I got older, it was Frazetta was the big one, Frank Frazetta. And he was, I always call him my first favorite artist because I, you know, I just was like, got so into his his work because he's so he's amazing and then it was Giger you know Giger H.R. Giger was the next one that was just like whoa completely paradigm shift for me to see that kind of stuff presented as fine art was like really amazing yeah. to me yeah and I think that he's one of the first ones if someone says dark art he may be one yeah of the first to come to mind yeah yeah he's kind of if not you chad <laughs> <laughs> maybe maybe of a i'm of a, of a new generation but yeah no he's kind of like the godfather him and bekshinsky i don't know if you ever have you ever seen bekshinsky i have i have a friend on facebook that is constantly posting artwork uh, of bazinski yeah yeah he his stuff is uh, if you look into his work he produced he was so prolific he produced way more work than giger did it's wow. and 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 it's like still I I see new pieces and I've seen them all and it's like someone will find a new one. I mean I'm not comparing them really. They're both like great artists of that time that were doing dark art before it was cool or before it was dark art even. But he was you know he didn't work on a movie a Hollywood movie and get an Oscar for it. That's kind of why he didn't come into public consciousness until I think the early 2000s maybe. You mm -hmm. know and people didn't know about Bekshinsky not that many now he's a little more popular now he's like all the ai art yeah look, looks like bekshinsky because i think yeah. they, he has so much work and they used it to train their ai 
programs but yeah check out his stuff because he was amazing just totally unassuming polish dude you know totally normal looking guy too (laughs) yeah Yeah, i i definitely see similarities between his work and your work actually yeah yeah i'm super influenced by bekshinsky no no doubt about it yeah i I had to be aware of it when i was starting because you know when you're starting and you don't have your own style you kind of have to like pull from your influences and and i was very aware of it and i know i you know i was biting a a bit of bekshinsky a bit of giger and but i was very i was always aware of it (laughs) it's like okay i gotta make this my own yeah. I got a little too close that time. Next time, I'm not going to do that, yeah. you know, yeah. but that's like, that's a thing artists go through, I think, when they're first starting out. Yeah, yeah, for sure. And I think that is true in pretty much any kind of artistic medium. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. Like oil paints or writing or music. Yep. Anything uh, creative. Yeah. Start with yeah, the influence. You gotta, you know, it's like, you don't, nobody does, creates from nothing. It just is, doesn't happen. You can't, you know, you have to start somewhere. Yeah. 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 And it's all a matter of finding your voice. You know? Yeah. Yeah. Finding your yeah. Voice. And that's, you know, that's the, the standing in the shoulders of giants thing. It's like yeah. each generation has to help the next generation and it's their responsibility to find their own voice using that influence and not just rip them off, you know, and then the, and, and, and it's, you know, every artist, it's kind of your responsibility for the next generation to do good work. Mm-hmm. and inspire them and make sure your work is like right and you're not slacking so that you're teaching them right and then it's their responsibility to do the same and find their own voice in it and then like kind of keep going with it i think right right yeah for sure i agree with that so i i have this list of your influences i forget where i got this it was either your website or wikipedia mm-hmm. But I also, there's one that is, I didn't know who it was, but as soon as I found out his artwork, I'm like, oh, that makes sense. Hmm. Uh, and that was John Singer Sargent, who was a portrait artist. Yeah, yeah. Well, yeah. it's the thing is, every painter loves John Singer Sargent because yeah, yeah. he was like the ultimate portrait painter. And, uh, but he, you know, it wasn't until I was doing this stuff for a while that I was like, oh, that this is, he's, you know, you can't get any better than Sargent. Yeah, he's a master at it. But it wasn't like that. That that didn't get me to paint monster portraits. It was more the other way around. It's like, oh, I'm doing kind of doing that too. Yeah, and I and I, and I started learning about as I was painting because I was kind of self taught for the most part. The more I was learning about, it, the more I was having an appreciation for that style of painting. Mm-hmm. You know, up to, when I was growing up, it's like it seemed stuffy and boring and dry, and uh, you know as you become an adult and you realize, wow, that's incredible. You know, it's just like a taste thing. Your taste develops yeah. as you get older, you know, but, but the, but probably more than Sargent that I don't give enough credit to for doing these portraits is Basil Gogos, who did the famous monsters of Filmland covers of, I don't know if you remember famous monsters magazine from the seventies. It was like the first Kinda, yeah. horror yeah. movie he did. If you look up famous monsters and you see the covers, you'll be like, oh, okay. Because <laughs> okay. he, th- this guy would, he would paint, you know, Christopher Lee as Frankenstein. He would paint all just the werewolf, all the classics in a portrait style, but he would use really weird colors because it was the seventies, I guess, just to make them weird. He'd use like these weird kind of garish colors that were super cool. But those were probably the, the biggest unconscious influence on me doing portraits 
you know, <laughs> yeah. more than more than Sergeant, I think, as far as hitting me when I, I didn't I didn't know Sergeant when I was a kid. But right. Right. Yeah. Well, I, I kind of want to go back to that. But I also wanted to ask because someone listed in the influences was Norman Rockwell. Oh, yeah. So amazing. Yeah. And <laughs> I think the initial my initial response was. Is he being ironic? <laughs> no. <laughs> no, he, Norman Rockwell was so amazing. It is like his just, you know, I, it's like I aspire to that level of technical ability because yeah. he was just such a great painter. But even, you know, for what he was doing, which is kind of the opposite of what I'm doing in a way, the, you know, the whole American apple pie thing. He was doing it as an artist. That was his thing. And he was nailing it and he was doing it perfectly. So like as an artist, whereas I'm not, that's not my message with my art. I could still appreciate that he was successful with his message, his thing. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah, I do. Well, you know what? I thought about it. My first thought was, is Chet being ironic? <laughs> um, and then the next thought was, oh, David Lynch. Um, yeah, that's true. Because you know, <laughs> has he presents this sort of Norman Rockwell vision, right? But then he rips away the cover, right? Know, right. The monstrous zone. <laughs> that's yeah. true. But I, but it's like I, it's just a. I really do have a genuine love for his work, and I, and I think it's, I, you know, I probably there's so many great artists out there. You don't list them all. You just get you get interviewed. And you answer the ones that come to mind. Right, and right. then you mentioned Norman Rockwell of, of a bunch of artists you could mention, because that, that is the, the weirdest one I could like. That's so <laughs> the least like what I'm doing. So nice. it's, you know, from a, from a, uh, you know, kind of ironic in that way, I guess it's more like, Oh, I'll mention this one because it's more interesting, even though I love whatever. So, you know, Francis Bacon as well, but that seems more, more obvious but yeah i just i it's for for i love norman rockwell for his technique more than anything i mean this stuff like perfect yeah. the poses and the expressions are just like especially in the in the expressions i have a lot of weird expressions on yeah. some of my characters and he just nails them you know it's like slight slightly exaggerated but still super realistic yeah you yeah know? it's just amazing yeah when i like that in your work that in some of them there's clearly this sense of humor uh, yeah <laughs> some of them i I, for, I apologize i forget the title but there's one of there's a mushroom cloud oh yeah background. like that <laughs> yeah yeah thumbs up and i just found that one just very funny uh, and it's like i think i know people who are like that right? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah that's uh, i mean my my one thing my parents used to my mom and my stepdad they used to they would always laugh when i showed them a new painting like in a good way like they 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 liked it and they thought it was funny mm -hmm. and yeah i think it's it's I, I think they're funny too my friend gabe leonard he's an amazing really amazing painter he he that's what he always says when he's asked about my work he's like i think they're hilarious <laughs> i think they're funny yeah. you know so so you know i'm not like intentionally putting in humor to soften the blow or anything it's just a natural part of my personality i guess or or i don't know if it seems like a good idea i just do it and sometimes that that idea is is 
is it's funny yeah i don't know i use like these monsters as like the base like you know most most artists traditionally will use will try and get like points across or try and express emotion and they just use the human figure as the base as the whatever their culture if it's it's usually like white people for, especially for like you know white men painters it's like you know beautiful white women or whatever and uh, that's the base and then they come up with the i the emotion and they use that as kind of like how, how am i going to mold this and turn it in, and, and make it express the feeling i want to express and i'm just using like monsters as the base right you know so it's like I'll, I'll try and create a sense of empathy or whatever or fear or funny you know something funny they're all because they are like to me they're like people mm -hmm. you know i'm just it's cool though because there is you you do kind of you don't have that that baggage that comes with it like the racial thing at all right it's it's more of a of a uh you know more people can relate to it i think because they're not like most of the creatures can't tell if they're of a certain race it's more like the race there they are is dead <laughs> <laughs> they're part of the dead race yeah yeah, <laughs> yeah. well and, and many of them aren't i mean it, there's a lack of humanness you know i don't want to yeah. say a lack of humanity but a right. lack of humanness right yeah yeah it just seems like you can kind of still make the same point in a unique way and then not have all the, you know, cultural baggage that comes along with it as well. Right. You know? Right. Yeah. And so looking at this book, the uh, dystopia and this world that you've created, I noticed a couple of things and I want to ask you about these. And one, I think you answer in the documentary, but I, I want to ask anyway, mm -hmm. the repetition of five. Yes. Because it appears in a lot of the uh, paintings. Yes. Well. The five is, yeah, it's ultimately, you know, the quick answer is it's my lucky number. <laughs> That's the easy answer. The real answer is that it was a, a like a, a, a number I was given when I was going through my big spiritual awakening and when I was like 18. And that was... Well, as talked about in the documentary, it involved a Ouija board and LSD and mushrooms <laughs> for all the right reasons. Again, I, I say I always give that disclaimer. I was not a partier. I was like, I was on the path. I wanted to know God. I wanted to experience that. And that's why I did it. And, you know, it was like a, a number given to me by this whatever it was we were communicating with on the Ouija board, the number five. And it was like, like a spiritual name. Hmm. It was like a spiritual name in a way, like given a, being given a new name kind of, you know? And so at least I took it as the symbol for like, I tattooed it. I got it on my shoulder in a triangle, which is why dystopia is an upside down triangle. I, it was like, I'm not going to forget this experience because it was so life-changing, you know? And it was sort of like, you, you know, you go through experiences, you have a big spiritual awakening and it's like, okay, you're going to be, you have to do good in the world. You have to be a good person. You're not going to be a bad person. You're not going to screw this life is precious. You, can, you need to live your purpose, blah, blah. And so it was a way of like committing to that. 
getting it tattooed. So I would never forget it. And, and I just put it in the paintings for that reason, I guess, just to not forget. And that's, it's more like something I'm doing for myself in a way. Okay. Now people like, oh, I got one with a five in it, you know, <laughs> like, <laughs> oh, I want to get that one. It's got a five in it. <laughs> yeah. I can see why they would want to do that. And, you know, and with me, I was, I immediately wanted to start looking at like the symbolism of five. Well, and- that's what I, that's what I did after it happened. I was like, I started looking at it and it's like, yeah, there's all kinds of fives that are, you know, resonate with me on a spiritual level. Right. You know, there's all kinds of stuff in different cultures spiritually. So it, but it was, you know, it was also, it was, it was a lot of things. It was, it was like the, when my dad left, you know, and my parents got divorced, I was five. It was when it was like my, it was when everything went bad for me as a kid, like everything was good up to that point. And then, and then there's this blank space where I got all screwed up from the experience and couldn't remember it because it was so painful and, and so it was, it was, I guess, a step to addressing that and I don't know, reclaiming that in a way, in a positive way. I don't know. Cause I eventually ended up going to therapy after that, you know, maybe five or six years later and then dealing with all that stuff. But that, I mean, that was the main kind of reason I yeah. think that it was given in the first place was like, this is when your trauma happened. Yeah. You know? Yeah. Well, and five is, I think five is kind of traumatic. I mean, not to diminish what you went through, but it, when I think about it, it's like, that's when you first start. I think it's like when the, the, that sense of self first really comes into focus. Yeah. Yeah. When you start having the first like chain of memories. Right. Because I can remember like just flashes before that. Right. Five, you know, I, that's where I'm like, yeah, I can remember a lot. So, oh, okay. Now life is going forward. <laughs> right. Yeah. Yeah. You become like more self-aware maybe, you yeah. know? Yeah. Yeah. Um, interesting. I never thought about it. Yeah. When I was also thinking in terms of, and this is just me thinking out loud, kind of in terms of five and kind of in the context of what you're doing in dystopia, in the sense that you, you talk, it, it's mentioned in dystopia that there's this idea of a fall. Mm-hmm. And I was kind of connecting five to the fall in the sense of I, I do a tarot card. I read tarot. Mm, me too. And four is always kind of the number of completion. Right. But then five is that first, okay, now you've had too much. And then you <laughs> yeah. Have fall, right. And so right. I was connecting five to that sort of fall. Uh, yeah, which also cool. seems to speak to your experience. Yeah. Yeah. But again, it's like, you know, get, you, you, I don't know. I couldn't have made that up. Yeah. I couldn't have come up with that if I was trying. Right. There's no way I'm not like, I'm not that smart. It's like, <laughs> I, I feel like I, I feel like I have a, a, a pretty high form of intelligence. If I, if it's through art. You know, like there's something going on there that I, that I, that I have that's kind of special, but it's like this weird inner thing. And the only way I can use it is through the artwork. I can't, you know, it's not like, you know, I could never get a degree like you. I just couldn't do it. It's like, it's, it's, so I feel like, like I, I feel dumb kind of, 
but I know that I'm not in this other way. I'm like smart in this other way, but it's a weird thing because <laughs> it's not verbal. It's yeah. like a weird form of communication, which is what art is. It's like a way of communicating that's nonverbal. So, but but that that's what was so cool about dystopia is like, yeah, I couldn't have come up with this if I tried. And just just you, you know, talking about the five, I didn't think of that until you yeah. said it. It's like totally true. Yeah. You know, it's it's just a trip. And that to me, that's magic. That's like, yeah, that's that's the exciting thing is when you're able to be a part of something like that. And, you know, those moments you realize, hey, oh, yeah, you remind it all the time. Yeah, magic's real. I always forget it. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. yeah, for sure. So uh, another question is, and I don't know if you can answer this question. Okay. Um, and, and so it it may be unfair. I hope it's not. But, you've cre- you know, the, the Dystopia documents this world that you've created. Mm-hmm. And you mentioned the influence of like Joseph Campbell and the idea of follow your bliss. Mm-hmm. And there's this theme of a fall in dystopia. And there are some of these uh, figures, characters, or, you know, there's like oracles, you know, and you have these interlopers and mm-hmm. everything. And as I'm looking at all of this, I'm like, there's a story. There's, there's like yeah. some, some story and so when I saw that you liked that, you know, the, the quote from Campbell, you know, Campbell's always known as the, you know, for the hero's journey. Mm-hmm. And so the question I had was in this context of dystopia, this world you created, who's the hero? Black magic is the hero to me. Okay? He's like the anti-hero kind of guy. Right. And, and there is a story that I didn't put in the book. It's like, you know, as Mike was interviewing me about this stuff, clearly, as we were coming up with everything, there was a sto- like a story developing in tandem with it that I am I have like I kept track of essentially, you know, and it's like the interlopers are the bad guys and black magic is the good guy. And everybody else is just like every other dumbass in the world going <laughs> about their lives kind of in a daze. You know what I mean? And then there's like these unusual characters here and there that that stick out, that that help, that hurt other, you know, bad. There's like other kind of independent bad guys. But to me, black magic is is the is the good guy, you know, that used to be a bad guy. Okay. You know, he's like kind of a, a redeemed hero, sort of like an anti-hero that used to be really bad. So that's I mean, this is dystopia is just like laying this groundwork for the really fun stuff which is telling the story right. and you know making a tv netflix series or a you know not maybe a, most likely it's odds are small that it would happen but i still want to try i'm shooting for something like that okay. if it only yeah. ends up as a comic book series i could do that i could do a comic book on my own i'm so used to doing everything on my own because that's how i've you know it's only been the only option for me is just to kind of do it on my own because i'm what i'm doing is so niche and weird that i've never you know there's never really been any corporate interests mm-hmm. in what i'm doing but that's kind of the ultimate goal because i think the story would be so cool it's just something i would want to see i would love to see those paintings come to life 
Um, yeah, I would too. And a story started forming as I was looking at the book. Oh, cool. You know, and, and I don't even remember, I wish I did, but there was one instance where I even thought, you know, like, oh, well, this is the beginning of the story. And it was a connection with our world and dystopia. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Sort of moment yeah, there, yeah. moment of interaction you know yeah yeah right yeah there is a there is a connection and it's it's like I, you know i don't want to talk about it because right. it's like it's it's still i don't want to let the secret out yet because sure, sure. but it's so cool and it's like i can't wait to develop it because it is such a cool idea but it, it does cross over and you know we the, the whole time writing the book we treated it like it was a real place mm-hmm you know, it was like important to make sure that it was that we didn't add anything or that I didn't make stuff up. Right. Which is weird for a fantasy book. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. But it was like I started, you know, I started elaborating on things and being like, you know what? That wasn't painted. Like, uh, that's not that's not I don't know that that's true. It's it didn't show up in a painting. Mm-hmm. If it shows up in a painting, I know that when I paint, I'm doing it like naturally and and purely. And if it shows up in a painting, then it's it's real. If it doesn't, then there's a chance I just made it up. So we only use the real stuff from the paintings. So it was, yeah, it was really strange. I like, I don't even, I bet you there's never been a book written like this before. Yeah, I can't think of one. Um, and that's kind of amazing yeah. <laughs> when you think about it. Yeah. Uh, but it wasn't so the, intentional. It was just like. Yeah. And so in the writing of the book, the process was, I think, tell me if I'm wrong, but this is something that I, if I remember right, you, you explained in a previous conversation is that Mike Carell would like show these pictures and then ask you, well, what is this? What's going on here? Yeah. He would, he would interview me about every single painting that he could basically every painting I've ever done. Mm-hmm. And once, you know, he would take all the information I told him about each painting, what I knew for sure, because there was things I knew for sure that I didn't even know that I knew until he asked me about them, which is totally like shocking to me. Like, I didn't even realize I knew that about it. I never thought about it. I never verbalized it. And then there was things that I thought maybe there, I kind of knew. And then there was things I had no idea. And then we just left that stuff out. Even the maybe stuff we didn't put in. Mm -hmm. So we only put the for sure stuff in. And, um, and then, but that's all we needed. And that's, you know, it was so important, like, again, to, to keep it true and real. And, oh, my point that I was going to say was we treated it like a, you know, like a real dimension that exists. Mm-hmm. And just for the sake of, you know, Mike is more, you know, I was like, I can't believe that that's true but he's a little more out there than i am with that stuff so he's like i think it's a real place but i was like i'll you know basically play along and you know it is kind of a real place in a way it's it's an imaginal realm that exists in my imagination i guess but as one of the rewards for the for the kickstarter i made a ouija board a dystopia ouija board because i love ouija boards i think they're so cool like you know the 70s man everybody had a ouija board that was a thing in the 70s and the late 60s um yeah so i have mine (laughs) (laughs) you have your original one that you had when you were a kid yeah i do oh that's so cool i wish i had my original i've got a few hanging yeah. around but no, i don't have my original one yeah in the movie you had a really interesting one not the standard yeah uh, i think it was the mystic tray 
I've yeah. got one up here that's like a swampy swami board, and then I had one called a Mystic Tray that was from the '40s, but I accidentally stepped on it and it broke oh. it. It was really cool, but but so I made this Ouija board, and I don't even know that if the the you know people who bought it they might not even know the idea behind it. I've said it in interviews here and there, but it's like you know I'm not that famous to where everybody knows everything that's going on with me, you know so. But but the idea was like, you can use the Ouija board to talk to the characters in dystopia. And wow. I thought that was the coolest idea, even if it's yeah. not anything other than just like a fantasy thing. It's still the idea is so cool. Yeah. And I think that you could probably use it and get something from it. Yeah. And it's like, who knows what? But I think that's so cool, that idea that, that there's a way that people can communicate with characters in this in this in this world using this ouija board wow uh, yeah i like that too that is isn't that cool yeah, it is it's incredibly cool and it's very unique as well <laughs> it's like it's a totally inspired idea it's just like oh my god it was in it because it started off as like oh, i want to make a ouija board for a, a, a reward that's it and then i was like oh shit you could talk to the characters through the ouija board <laughs> that'd be amazing so and but again it's like i don't even know if anybody I'm sure they're just using it like art pieces and hanging them up because they just look cool. But I don't know. I just, I got, I just well, I got too many ideas. You know what that reminds <laughs> me of or what it kind of brings to mind is almost like manifesting this world, you know, manifesting dystopia. Right. And, you know, I, I don't know if you're familiar with the Philip experiment. I don't think so. Not it by was, that name, um, it was done back in the 70s, and I believe it was a group of Canadian parapsychologists. Mm -hmm. And what they did is they made a ghost. No way. Yeah, they made a ghost. And you can look this up on YouTube. There are some videos of it. Wow. And so they created this entire backstory. So they came up with the name and the whole backstory of this character named Philip. That's so cool. And then what they did is they would hold seances. And nothing much happened until like a year later, things started happening. The table wow. started levitating. It would move around the room. <laughs> That's crazy. That's like uh, the, the, the tulpas, right? Or, yeah, or yeah. you know, the, 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 or, or servitors, servitors, yeah. you know, in magic where you yeah. are. Yeah. That is a trip, man. Yeah. Yeah. And so it seems like, you know, communicating with these characters via Ouija board, it's kind of doing the same thing, you know? Yeah. Right. Yeah, <laughs> which you know, <laughs> yeah, yeah, maybe I should have put some safeguards in there or <laughs> some instructions at least. Right, right, right. <laughs> no, I mean, I thought or something. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I mean, I've thought about you know, this is like my life's work. Dystopia is my life's work. It's yeah. it's the thing. That's why I'm like, gonna, I got to be really. I want to be careful about it. I don't want to like sell it to some movie company. Right. It's like it, it, it'll either get done right or it won't get done in my lifetime because yeah. it's it's that important to me. It's like everything I've everything to me. It's it. It's my thing. Yeah. My one thing. And I've just because then it's like I'm thinking of all kinds of cool things that you could do for it. You know, VR, right? A games, video games, a card game like Magic Gathering. But I was thinking, you know, it would be cool. Would be just as a fun thing to do is be to um, come up with a magical system based yeah. you know dystopia magic magical system wow okay. like a, you know because just like kind of like in a chaos magic approach mm -hmm. 
just as a fun artistic thing to do it'd be so yeah. cool because yeah. it's like you know if the principles of magic are what i think most people that are in uh, understand it real it's it's it doesn't matter mm-hmm. you know it's really it's coming you're making it happen and right. the, the the magic rituals and stuff are just techniques to to get in touch with that part of yourself that makes it happen right, right. You know? yeah yeah that's yeah I, I i like that aspect in like chaos magic where you use what is useful to you right, right. oh so, you know because ultimately you're working with symbols mm-hmm anyway yeah. and kind of channeling those energies through the symbols so yeah oh you know, if you know praying to artemis is your thing go for it or if it's right. you know, praying to buffy go for it right <laughs> <laughs> yeah one of those might have more ener- energetic charging from years of use but maybe not you know what they always say that like because because when i first found out about chaos magic i was like oh yeah you could you know get a get favors from you know scooby-doo or whatever and what a fun idea. And then the guy I learned, I took magic classes from Jason Louvre. He was like, well, you know, the, you, you use the standard, the old gods, because they've been used for millennia. People mm-hmm. have been using them. So they have more resonance and more energy. But then I was thinking, you know what? May, that may not be true. Because right. think about how many people, how few people throughout the years have used those gods or whatever and and given it that energy compared to now right. how many people have seen scooby-doo right you know it's like it's probably yeah. a lot more energy to the pop culture things mm-hmm. have, you know when you look at how many people because it's like you know magic was a niche thing for forever or you know it was like an underground thing where you had to like and even back when it was in popular use it, you know the, there just wasn't that many people in the world like there right. was yeah, no, that's an outstanding point because there's just so many of us now. Yeah. And, you know, and, what's more important, you know, is it the duration or the right. number of people that are using it? Right. You know, so um, I don't know. So it just got me thinking. It's like, man, maybe because I was thinking it'd just be cool to make your own up. Yeah. But, but, but as far as I, I mean, in a, in a sense, if that, you know, if dystopia becomes a huge, thing and gets made into a movie you could you could do that yeah. and that you could you could get you know contact in contact with black magic yeah. <laughs> now that he's a good guy yeah well and i think that there's you know with the internet age that we're living in things like memes and whatnot right like, yeah yeah viral i think there that's a very potent source of yeah magical powers yeah yeah, have you seen the that documentary on Hulu? It's called Meme. I want to say Meme Magic or something. I mean, it's about the whole. You should watch it. It's not a great documentary, but it's it's good, and it you know it talks about the whole thing about the whole 4chan, okay, Meme Magic, getting hmm. Trump elected and that whole you know because a lot of yeah. people think that that yeah yeah, yeah. they're yeah. using chaos magic with memes in order to. Yeah. so it's insane scary yeah and i've had that sense that there was black magic at play with, yeah. with that well know. that and and it's if you know it got to me it was like okay now i see why these people were keeping it secret because yeah. yeah. it is potentially dangerous in the wrong hands you get a bunch yeah. of crazy people nihil, nihilistic kids who hate their lives and 
mm-hmm. you know, it's, and they get, they somehow get together. I mean, it felt also like, to me, that felt like a, like a perfect storm. And also like, it was sort of like, it was just the time for it to happen. Everything lined up right for that, yeah. that to happen, but still, you know, yeah, it's crazy. Yeah. 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 So, so yeah. Yeah. We need dark art and dark times. Yeah. <laughs> that's, that's what I say. Yeah. That's a, that's, you know, I'm, I'm like a dark art evangelist, you know, cause it's, cause we felt, cause I, we all feel in, in dark art, like we are the marginalized art community. No one takes us seriously. Blue chip gallery would never take us seriously where it's just, you know, they just don't take us seriously. You have to do you know, modern art, you have to do stuff like that to be taken seriously with the academia and stuff in, in the art world on the blue chip art yeah. world. But so, so I'm like, I feel like I'm an evangelist for this kind of stuff. So I'm always speaking about it and promoting it. And, uh, and so one, one of the things I like to say is that it's, I feel like it's one of the most, one like a, a sales point, a sales pitch point that I give to people is it's, the most appropriate art for the times we live in yeah it expresses i think how most people feel more than any other art form i could think of at least visual art form you know because yeah. everyone's feeling the feeling anxiety and fear yeah. and hopelessness yeah and like everything's out of control and it's like you know this is the time for us that's why i tell all the other dark artists this is our time so yeah. you got to make some great art. Yeah. Well, and that feeds in. This will be my last question for you. Okay. I love, I, I, I'm having a really good time with the conversation, but oh, I think, good. you know, for, for the virtue of the listeners and yes. <laughs> uh, I ask guests and I don't ask every guest this, but since what you just said, I'm like, yes, I need to ask this anyway, because one of the themes often in my podcast is our, like our ecological crises that we're facing and Mm. just the world at large. So I always like to ask them, you know, do you have hope? So I want to ask you, (laughs) do you have hope chat? I, I, I totally have hope. I, you know, sometimes I feel like I shouldn't and you know, and sometimes I feel like I, I can't, I, don't, I can't explain it, mm. but I do feel I, maybe it's because I, okay. If you have like a true faith in, okay. If you think that what I think is that God, I'm like a, what's the, I forget the term where it's like, God is everything. Pantheistic, Pantheistic kind of, it's like, that was what I got out of all of my experiences with magic with psychedelics with all my you know eastern philosophy it was like there's nothing outside of god Mm. otherwise it wouldn't be the ultimate thing you can't have the ultimate thing and then have something outside of it then it's not the ultimate thing then it's lacking that thing right it's just common sense so it's like to me it's it's this is god and there's nothing to worry about (laughs) because this is all god end of story you know it's like you don't have to be afraid of dying you don't have to be afraid of anything because you're already god you are part of god you are god everything is god and that's it that that's just what what i think is true i just think that's the ultimate reality and it's like you know, it doesn't help me when I stub my toe or you know (laughs) i got stomach flu or something but, but 
I I just I I can't see to me it's like I don't know I feel like I know that that's true even though it sounds arrogant or something but to me it I feel like that's absolutely the truth right. and and how how can you be afraid or worried that anything's going wrong when it's all god right and if and if it is seems horrible the way things seem now then there's like it's I don't know. I, I'm. It sounds trite, but it, but I do kind of believe that the, you know the birth pangs idea. You know, it's like it's like birth is a whole painful and bloody and ugly, and a, and a new life comes from it. Mm-hmm. And and I do think I really do think that that's where we're at. Yeah. I don't know. Who knows how long it'll take? But right. it could be like and things are so fast now. It could be in a year. Yeah. But it could be in a hundred years. Yeah. Yeah, no, I, I agree with pretty much everything you just said. And um, good, let's start a church. <laughs> <laughs> we can make a bunch of money. <laughs> yeah, I don't think I haven't thought about it. <laughs> yeah, every everybody, then, everybody does at some point. <laughs> yeah, every now and then I'll say something in a specific way, and one of my oldest friends will just look at me and say, you could make millions. <laughs> <laughs> That's the thing, though. It's like people that really think that would never do something like that. That's yeah. the irony, you know, yeah. unless you're a sociopath. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> uh, but no, I, you know, I don't, you know, the question for me, you know, with God, it's always, you know, well, how are you defining God? And yeah. I tend to look at it as this sort of primary or foundational consciousness. Yeah. That's and a good thing that perfect. we're all that. You know, yeah. And I know that there's this idea of that we're all just God wanting to experience God. So God wants to know what it's like to stub his toe. Right. <laughs> or yeah. It's toe or. You yep. know, yeah. Yeah. Right. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely. It's the it's that kind of game. You know, it's like God is we're God playing the hide and seek game. Yeah. And fi- I mean, if you think about it, it's a cool game. You know, it's like, oh, I'm going to hide from myself and then discover that I'm really God at the end, yeah. <laughs> you know, <laughs> and then I win and then everybody wins. It's amazing. <laughs> yeah. I like that kind of gives God a sort of a sense of humor. right? There. Yeah, well, yeah. for sure. I mean, this is when anybody that's had experience with psychedelics is one thing that you get is like the cosmic giggle, they call right. it, or the cosmic wink. It's like, yeah, God has a sense of humor. Absolutely. Yeah you know <laughs> yeah 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 no i love that cosmic giggle yeah <laughs> yeah you go like oh yeah i mean yeah. it's amazing it's amazing yeah yeah life's amazing yeah, yeah. and I, and i also agree that we are experiencing birth pains yeah and, see i think you know. i think i think other i i think that and you feel weird saying it because things seem so hopeless right now and so ugly but you know i feel it's it's again it's like you know you almost feel like oh, i'm saying something cliche by saying it but it's what i it feels that way to me just feels yeah. that way to me yeah yeah no it, i think it is and you know we i think we often forget you know i think a lot of people like to think of birth as you know right after birth where everyone's holding the baby oh so cute. oh yeah no. forget <laughs> that birth is a bloody affair with much screaming and gnashing of teeth. Uh, like the worst pain ever like yeah. the, the worst pain you could experience yeah yeah and, yeah. and, and then the, that's where we are yeah yeah right <laughs> yeah and think about the nine month right. uh that's not very comfortable either you know from carrying it carrying the 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 fetus for nine months it's like 
so I could see, you know, maybe I'm wrong, but I could see like, you know, you look at the arc of history and like, yeah, that was the gestation period. And, you know, and this is, this is the birth happening. And I don't know. I just, I, I just, I don't know. I just, I just believe it. I just, I just feel it. I feel it in my bones. Yeah. Well, you know, through this process, what I think is so important is we don't need a lot of academics. You know, what we need is a lot of storytellers and visionaries mm. and artists. And, you know, so I think that, you know, you are a excellent guide for us. Um, oh, thanks. <laughs> so with that said, I really hope that dystopia gets turned into a series or movie or something me too that would be amazing <laughs> and absolutely incredible i just want to um, see it yeah well i'm anxiously it just screams to me that that's the next step yeah um, me too yeah. me too have you seen love death and robots oh yeah 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 imagine that's how i I saw that and i was like oh my god i've i saw it i've seen it because yeah. they can make it look exactly like my paintings mm -hmm. Cause there's a few stories in there that are like painterly they're yeah. CG, but they're painterly. It's like, yeah. now I know it can be done. I can see it. So now I'm going to make it happen. <laughs> I'm going to manifest yeah, it yeah. somehow. Yeah. Well, we'll ask everyone in the audience, you know, to, to help manifest that. Yes. Because I think it would be absolutely incredible. Me too. Um, I think so here's a question. I, I'm li I lied. I said, <laughs> no problem. So dystopia it's volume one. Yes. Are you working on volume two? I haven't started, but you know, as much of a, as hellish as it was, we didn't include every painting. There's, I left out so many paintings. There's so much more work. There's easily enough for a, a volume two. And the hard part was figuring out like the format of the book. That's what took, I couldn't see it. I couldn't get it. I couldn't wrap my mind around it. I'm just not that way. So, so it was like, you know, three and a half years of me going, I don't know what to do. And like thinking about it and trying to do it and not being able to put it in a format. And then finally it clicked for me and I was like, Oh, okay, this is how we do it. And, and, and then it was easy. So now the book is laid out so we could like, it would be easy to do volume two, basically. So I'm not working on it, but every painting it's, that's another cool thing about dystopia is every time I make a painting it, the world gets bigger. Yeah. And all I have to do is just paint what I think is cool. <laughs> it's, so, it's so much fun. It's like these guys, these zombie death bots. I'm doing this show for Capro a Gallery. It's opening on the 8th of October. They're, the idea is that they are robots. If you've made a robot using cadaver parts, mm. <laughs> that was the idea. Because <laughs> it just seemed like a fun idea. It right. just seemed like a fun idea. And I was like, wow. Okay, so what are those? How do they figure in dystopia? Because they're definitely in dystopia. So they, it's, a, it's a new piece of the puzzle. So I feel like the more I paint, the bigger the world gets. And I'll just never run out of, it'll just keep getting bigger and bigger. Yeah. yeah so yeah. so I definitely want to do volume two for sure. But I'm not, I'm not there yet. Okay. So you've got a show at Copro Gallery. That's in Santa Monica? Yeah, at, at Bergamont Station, which is a big collection of art galleries over there. Okay. Um, and that starts October 8th. Yeah. And I think it's up for three or four weeks okay. and it's free, you know, so people can go see it. Right, um, yeah. I'll definitely go check it out, especially now that light rail will take you straight to Santa Monica. Yeah. Yeah. It, it drops you off right at the gallery. It's funny. Perfect. Yeah. Yeah. Perfect. Perfect. So where can people get a copy of dystopia? 
you can go to, you can go to my, everything is, you can go to get everything from my website, which is just chetzar.com, or you can go to chetzar.bigcartel.com and order the book. And at this point, this is, that's the only place you can, you can get the book totally independently done. I, I don't know what I'm doing. I probably should be selling on Amazon or something, but at this point, it's just like, I'm just selling directly to my fan base, yeah. you know? Well, you don't need to make Jeff Bezos any richer. Um, yeah, yeah, that's what I'm thinking. It's like, why bother? <laughs> you yeah, know, uh, it, it is a glorious book. I mean, it's so well done. Oh, thanks. It's a great collection, and it really, you know, I, you know, it it sparked my imagination. Oh, cool. And I think that's what you know most artists want, isn't it? Yeah, for sure. Yeah, that's like the ultimate compliment. Yeah, I yeah. appreciate that. That's yeah, great of to course. hear. Of course. Well, Chet, thank you so much for taking the time to speak with me today. I really thoroughly enjoyed this conversation. Me too. Thanks for having me on. I had a great, excellent time. I'll, I'll, I'll like to come on again. You got to come on my podcast too. We'll do anytime. Excellent. Yeah, we'll, we'll definitely keep in touch and I'll leave it at that. And just remind everyone, if you're in Southern California, go to the showing at Copro Gallery and get a copy of Dystopia Volume 1. Yes. I'll be doing a signing there too. Okay. As well as having showing my new work. Okay, awesome. Yeah. So, all right. Well, chat, I will speak with you again very, very soon. And that's a wrap on episode 55 of Rebel Spirit Radio. Thank you so much for listening or watching if you are part of my YouTube audience or watch this on Spotify. If you enjoyed this podcast, please make sure to give it a positive rating on whatever platform you use to listen to podcasts. It only takes a second and your five-star ratings really do help especially if you listen on Apple. If you have a minute to spare, please consider posting a short but positive review. And please consider subscribing. For those viewing on YouTube, please give this video a thumbs up and subscribe to the channel. Make sure you hit that notification bell so you will be informed when I upload new content. Also, if you think a friend or family member or coworker even would like this podcast, please share it with them. Right now, that is one of the best ways to help me with the podcast. I really would like to grow my audience. If you would like to support my work on Rebel Spirit Radio, I also have a PayPal link set up if you would like to make a one-time donation. And yes, you can still be the first person to do so. The first person who does so will get a special call out, if you are okay with that, and you will have my undying gratitude. You can find the PayPal link in the show notes or video description. I will also be launching a Patreon within the next few weeks, so keep tuned for an update on that. Uh, I have big plans for Rebel Spirit beyond the Rebel Spirit Radio podcast. I really would like to create more video content for the YouTube channel, including more book reviews, educational videos on topics concerning spirituality, the history of religion, and the religious response to the climate crisis. I'm also planning some live stream episodes. The first will be with returning guest Dr. Sharon Kogan, where she will be offering a Jungian analysis, interpretation of dreams for participants. Um, that's probably going to end up being sometime in November, maybe early December. We've already uh, recorded a preliminary episode that will be released in a few weeks. So be sure to follow Rebel Spirit Radio on Facebook and or sign up for the newsletter at rebelspiritradio.com so you can be informed of all future live events. Implementing all of this is going to take time and resources, so anything you can do to help will be greatly appreciated. I'm Nick Mather, and you've been listening to Rebel Spirit Radio. Until next time, 
May you be in peace. May you flourish in all possible ways. And may you continue to nurture your rebel spirit.